Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 4. Someday I might get married and I have a husband that have a job that can't just pick up and go with me wherever I feel like it, you know, or if I have a kid and I want to see him every now and then, like spring coaching is not a great career for that. So I think like having a little bit more open mindset um, for me was important um, because the private sector really offers all that other opportunity. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast, and I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Tara DeLeon. She's an RSCC strength and conditioning coach who now works as a personal trainer in Edgewater, Maryland. Tara, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. We will dive into your background in just a second, but before we do, we have a guest co-host today, NSCA's new personal training program manager, Blake Brightwell. Blake, I appreciate the help today. Thanks for having me on. I've been a, been a loyal listener for years and years, so it's fun to be on this side of things. Let's learn about your role as we go today. Today's episode... We are going to unpack a bit of a stigma that exists in the coaching community around personal training. The global fitness industry is valued at over $87 billion. And despite a reputation for unhealthy food and rising concerns of obesity, the U.S. holds several impressive fitness bests. With the most fitness clubs out of any country in the world and over 60 million Americans holding gym memberships, the impact of strength and conditioning on non-athletic and general populations is an important topic, even for many of us who work primarily around sport. Tara, you worked as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. Now you work in the private sector. Why don't you kick this thing off by telling your path and your story in the profession? I'd love to. Um, so I started my fitness journey um, probably when I was a kid playing sports, but when I got to college, I met someone who was a personal trainer and he was like, you should do this. You'd have a great personality for it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. Um, so I actually switched my whole major. I went from business to sports psychology and then eventually just exercise science because um, the body is so cool that it just really interested me. Um, and I actually started working as a personal trainer for a few years, taught some group fitness. Um, and then I decided that I really, really wanted to work with athletes. And I thought this was like a really novel idea. Um, it turns out it wasn't, <laughs> and it was really hard to get into. Um, I went on a handful of interviews and they basically told me like, Hey, you don't have the right certification, which by the way, was the CSCS. Um, and I don't have a master's degree. Um, so I went back and got both of those, um, and then tried to get a job and nobody would hire me because I didn't have any experience. So my like, you know, eight years or whatever as a personal trainer didn't really count for anything, as you guys know, in the strength and conditioning industry. Um, and I was kind of shocked. I was like, what do you mean? I like work with people one on one and I have the knowledge to do this in groups. So like, what is the issue here? But um, as everyone I'm sure that's listening knows, like strength and conditioning is a whole different animal than personal training. Um, so I got my break at Navy. I interviewed there. Um, and they told me it was between me and one other guy and they went with the other guy. Um, but they offered to let me stay on and kind of volunteer and see what it's all about and get some experience there. 
Um, so I did that and I loved it. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work at such a beautiful place um, and learn from really, really great strength coaches. Um, and then not long after that, I got a call from Loyola up in Baltimore and they wanted to hire me. Um, so I was up there for a few years and then I transitioned back into private sector. It was one of those things they brought in like new head coach and all the assistant coaches got let go. Um, so they say you're not truly a strength coach until you've been fired. So that was like a big day in my career, you know? Um, so <laughs> luckily I had a friend who was running a private sector facility, um, kind of near where I was from. So I moved back there and was training mostly youth athletes. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, like a semi-pro football team, um, moved in and we started coaching these guys, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then after maybe two years working there, um, I bought a house that was nowhere near <laughs> there. Um, I got tired of making practically no money and working really long hours. Um, and there was a gym like four minutes from my house. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to go back to personal training. Um, and I honestly couldn't be happier. Like I did have a hard time with the transition, but I make like a boatload of cash and I set my own hours. So it's like a win-win for me. <laughs> what does your current clientele look like these days? I know you said you used to work with youth athletes, but who are you working with primarily these days? Yeah, you know, people ask me that all the time and it is such a random mix that it's hard to even like, like quantify who is my like bread and butter. Um, but I work a lot with people who are women who are trying to get pregnant um, is like a huge niche of mine. I had trouble with that. So I think they kind of gravitate towards someone who's been there. Um, women who are pregnant, usually because the fertility clients just stay on during their pregnancy because they see the benefit of it. Um, I have a lot of older ladies. Um, I run a group called Senior Women in the Weight Room. So I've taken all these like 70 and 80 year old ladies and taught them how to like back squat and deadlift and bench press and they're total dude bros. Um, and all the actual dude bros of the weight room are always looking at us like, what? <laughs> Look at you, granny. So that's kind of fun. And they like it because they see the benefit at that age. They're like, holy smokes, when I don't do this, I am stiff as hell the next day. Um, and when I do come here, it is like everything's moving right. Everything's feeling good. I might be a little sore, but everything works well. So I, maybe half of my clientele is older like that. Kara, do you feel like your background working in college athletics with more athletic populations helps you in your programming, your decision-making now with general population? Yeah, I actually love that because as I look around the gym, I can kind of tell who's had a good strength coach before and who hasn't um, because you guys know we just do things a little different, right? The dynamic warm-up is like a key part of what we do. Um, but in the gym, like gen pop, you'll see them hop on the treadmill for five minutes and then be like, all right, time to deadlift, you know, um, whereas in the strength conditioning world, we don't see that as much. Um, so a lot of my clients feel really like empowered that they know how to grab a PVC pipe and do some mobility drills and things like that, that not everybody else is doing. And of course with better results. I, I do have a follow-up question on that. Um, so flip side of that coin, how do you feel like your eight years in personal training before you went into collegiate athletics, how do you feel like that 
helped? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I think that really helped because I was so used to looking at people's issues, right? Like very few people come to a personal trainer because they've got it all figured out and they don't have any pain, right? So people come to you and talk about this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue of all of our strength athletes, you know, we know that they're going to have some sort of health issue, some knee pain, something, right? And it's our job to kind of figure out how to make that better and then make them perform on top of that. So being able to look at that and kind of like real quickly determine what exercise would be a good choice for that, rather than having to like rewrite the whole program for the whole team, you know, it was really invaluable to me for sure. Do you feel like there's a difference between personal training and private sector coaching? I know that's a yes. very loaded question. We may not get to the bottom of this. And I think it's something <laughs> that there's going to be a lot of difference among our listener, a lot of difference in answers among our listeners tuning in as well. But I want to pick your brain on that. Do you, you know, how do you, how do you deal with your coaching identity in the personal training space? So I really struggled with this when I came back to personal training. Um, you know, I'd been a collegiate coach and then I was private sector. And now here I am as a personal trainer. And for like the first two years I worked here, I was like, hey, put on my business card that I'm a strength conditioning coach. Like, I don't want to be personal trainer. I want to be known as a strength coach. And now as I've gotten more comfortable with who I am as a trainer, um, I absolutely call myself a personal trainer and I'm proud of it. Um, but I do think there is a huge difference between being a personal trainer um, in a gym or a studio versus a, a strength conditioning coach in the private sector. You know, I think the expectations are different. Um, in personal training, a lot of times people will come in and they just want a good workout and then they leave. You know, and of course, the good personal trainers will give some coaching along the way, right? Maybe talk about habits and what we can do to help like get to our goals no matter what the goals are. Um, whereas a private sector strength conditioning coach is kind of expected to talk about like nutrition and sleep and recovery as in addition to all of the exercises that, you know, you would run a team through. I also think that private sector strength coaches often do stuff in like group format. So maybe not everybody's doing the same program, but you've got 10 guys in there at once working. Um, whereas in personal training, that's much less common where I'm at. Um, we do mostly like one-on-one -on -one or small group with everybody doing the same stuff. Um, I've only recently started having like two and three people at a time, all doing their own programs. And the only reason I did that is because I'm too busy. I don't have any more time, um, which is a good problem to have. Uh, but I don't have any more time to give to like one-on-one. -on -one, so I just started like putting everybody in groups, whether they like it or not. So far, they all like it though. So just um, kind of pulling from my experience in the in the personal training world, that's a really hot topic. And that was an area that I saw a lot of my employees struggle with, um, you know, moving their one on one clients into a small group setting. Can you talk about how you have that conversation with your clients? Um, so I think this goes back to like the relationship that you've built with your client. Um, I didn't really give people a choice. I just kind of um, looked at who I thought would have a similar vibe and could work well together, not necessarily as partners, but 
in the vicinity, like sharing similar conversation. Um, and I was like, Hey, my schedule is really busy. Do you mind if I throw you in with this person on Friday for your session? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like nobody gave me any pushback at all. And then once they do it once or twice, they're like, this is great. Can I always work out with her? You know, it just became like this really easy thing. Of course, there's a handful of clients that are much more challenging who I would not dare put with anyone else. Um, but for the most part, it's been a pretty easy transition. Personal training can be a really impactful profession, obviously on the personal level, but you mm -hmm. think about why that stigma exists in the coaching community. And I know for me, I, I, I think my first certification that I got or my first opportunity to train anyone was through personal training. So for many coaches, maybe it's considered a, a, a path or early in the path of I'm going to get a personal training credential and move into a higher level team training or coaching scenario. But I think as we hit different milestones in life, there's some some other factors at play there. And uh, maybe, maybe many of us coaches start thinking a little more entrepreneurial about how we can make ends meet in this profession. Uh, what yeah. opportunities do you see Tara and Blake uh, emerging in the personal training private sector space that many of our collegiate or professional coaches may not be aware of? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you kind of brought up the career path there because I really struggled with that when I was going from strength coach back to personal training. It felt like a regression in my career. Um, and I did have a heck of a time kind of like getting my brain around that. But as I've been in the profession now for a while, I do feel like there are a lot more opportunities, um, even though I'm not necessarily an entrepreneur, right? I work for a company, a big gym. Um, I see myself going, I wonder if I could transition everybody to like semi-private training instead of one-on-one. -on -one. Um, or I wonder if I could start a group class where there's like 30 people, you know, doing this all at once. And it would be a lot like a strength conditioning, you know, experience at that point. Um, the exception being everybody's not an athlete or better said, nobody is an athlete. Um, so everybody's kind of in different places, but I think the industry is kind of headed towards that, um, where I think one-on-one -on -one training will be like a really valuable commodity, but the majority will be semi-private and small groups type stuff. I also think there's a huge opportunity in the online space, but not that many people are doing it well. Um, you know, it's one thing to like throw a workout plan in an app and be like, here you go. It's a hundred bucks. You know, it's another to truly like coach people through distance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just building off of that, um, I think it's really valuable to get your in-person coaching experience first so yes. that you can truly understand what a program looks like in all facets, you know, recovery, nutrition, all that good stuff. Um, but a couple of other areas that I've seen recently that I'm really excited about kind of on the private sector side of things is both corporate performance and then youth training, like you mentioned earlier. I think the, that those two are both on the on the come up. Yeah, I totally agree. 
we have like tons of like youth that are just joining the gym you know we have like nine and ten year olds that are like can I get a membership and we're like uh it's kind of like some liability for us but I guess if your mom's here with you you know um but you know five years ago ten years ago we would have never seen that like youth were still playing outside back then now they're like interested in training yeah, it's definitely been a paradigm shift. It's really exciting, though. I mean, it's it's more job opportunities for for us. Yeah. When I look at training as a whole, you know, and at the NSCA, we have our coaching department, we have our personal training department, and we have our tactical department. And, and I think our listeners, I think our members understand that that's what we're about. But when you look at fitness in a much broader view, we often are find ourselves we're training for activity or sport. But on the other side, we have clients that train just to improve their lifestyle or how they feel on a daily basis. And then there's another group that are training more occupational purposes. And there's a lot of crossover mm -hmm. there. And I think that's yeah. something that is challenging for us. You know, I know Blake and I talk about this a good amount. It's challenging for us to talk about coaching without talking about private sector coaching and personal training. It's tough for us to talk about tactical military strength and conditioning and those emerging professions uh, without talking about other physical professions where uh, or factory workers or jobs that just require a lot of physical, physical work. Uh, and so recognizing those crossover areas, I think that's really the spirit of what this episode's about, of maybe working through some of the identity challenges we have as I'm a coach and I'm going to coach wherever I'm at. Uh, I think we've come a long way as a profession of okay, I get let go from this job. I'm going to pack up and take that same program with me to wherever I go next and whatever setting that is, I think. And I think it's an optimistic view, but I, I feel like our field is in a better place to go into an environment and figure out, hey, what do I need to do to be successful here? And that's going to look a lot different mm -hmm. at a university like Navy than other colleges or in a personal training setting or in it or in a more traditional military environment. So I, I think there's so much to unpack there. I think it's a really healthy conversation. Uh, Tara, I want to ask you, you know, lessons learned. So it, we're going to talk to young coaches who all they really see right now is collegiate strength and conditioning, or they want to work in pro sports. What are some lessons you've learned working in the private sector that you think would have benefited you earlier in your career or could benefit them where they're at? You know, I didn't really have like the, the long-term view when I was starting out and I wanted to be a strength coach and I was willing to move anywhere to do it. And, um, you know, I didn't have the vision of, you know, someday I might get married and I have a husband that has a job that can't just pick up and go with me wherever I feel like it, you know, or if I have a kid and I want to see him every now and then, like strength coaching is not a great career for that. Um, at least not where I was because we were there six o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night, weekends, it was all over the place. Um, you know, 
so I think like having a little bit more open mindset um, for me was important um, because the private sector really offers all that other opportunity. My schedule now is like seven to five. So I get to get up and see my son in the morning. I get to come work all day. And then I pick him up and I've got a couple hours before bedtime. And I never work weekends unless it's like an emergency or something. But um, rarely do I ever do that. Um, so I think kind of stepping back and like swallowing the, the shame of like not being a strength coach um, was important for me to have a better life. I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in our job as like our identity. Um, so changing that identity for me from strength coach to like human that's also a personal trainer um, was important. And I think there's so many opportunities for these like young coaches coming out. And I know it's frustrating. We've all been there, right? Like, man, I want this job. And then you get your dream job and it only pays like 25000 a year. And you can't live on that. You know, our industry definitely has a ways to go. Um, but even like a brand new trainer starting out who's not, you know, real great yet is going to make more than that. Um, of course, it's a different skill set required, right? Training requires selling, whereas strength conditioning doesn't really, unless you consider selling the team on what you're doing or selling the sport coach on your plan. Um, but your like finances don't depend on it. Um, whereas in training, of course it does. Um, but I just think there's, um, we've come a long way and there's a long way we can still go to. Yeah. I, I actually kept one of my, uh, schedules from when I was a coach in college athletics, just to remind me, you know, I absolutely loved that setting, loved working with athletes, but the 14 hour days, six hour, uh, you yeah. know, six days a week is just really tough to, to set up a life outside of that. Uh, yes. Nothing wrong with that if that's the route you want to go. But I think realizing that there are other ways that you can apply your skills is really, really important. So it's so empowering too. like you're not stuck in that life, even though you love it. You know, you have an opportunity to do something else. So it's it's nice to know that there are options. Right. And just because you step away from the college weight room doesn't mean that you lost those skill sets or that you can't use them anymore, right? That I felt like that was kind of my differentiating factor when I moved over into personal training is I was kind of the sport performance guy for anyone who walked into the gym, right? I might not have had a team of 35 people, but I definitely got to work with athletes a lot, you know, probably more than anybody else in the gym. So just getting that that bedrock foundation, I felt was invaluable for my career. Absolutely. We actually have a trainer here at the gym who um, was like a strength conditioning intern. And then he couldn't find a job in the industry. So he came home, lived with his parents and started working here. Um, and like me, he struggled with like the identity crisis. But for a long time, anybody who came in the gym that was any any sort of athlete at all, whether they were youth athlete or master's athlete, that he was like the guy. So you totally can like kind of brand yourself as like the sports performance guy, you know, in the private sector and still have a really satisfying and lucrative career. It is empowering to find another work environment where you can thrive, I think, uh, when it it's, takes a little bravery to pull out of maybe the track you're on and, and 
and address those challenges within yourself. Uh, you know, the identity things that we're talking about, but one thing I hear just through this episode is that not all personal trainers are the same. Um, just like another stigma, not all coaches are the same. Not every strength and conditioning coach is a, I'll just stereotype us. The, the football strength coach, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that maybe we grew up thinking about, uh, there's our fields a lot broader now. And I think that maybe always has been the case in the private sector. Maybe we're just coming around to that. And I think that helps us on the coaching side that, uh, how our mind is expanding, how our field is expanding allows us to be a little more open-minded towards different types of private sector opportunities. Also, if you're a coach that maybe is never considered private sector working with athletes, private sector coaching, that can be a great bridge coming out of a college environment or a professional environment. There are athletes that are, that, that want to be worked with, that want to have, uh, someone to teach them speed mechanics or sprint technique or, uh, how to, you know, how to squat, how to clean all the, the fundamental things that you're working on in the college or professional setting. So, um, there, there's that perception too, that maybe everybody's an athlete, you know, it depends how you define it. And, and you can build a whole career on that mindset, LTAD and all the different areas we talk about at the NSCA. So, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty cool to explore that. I think it's challenging for a lot of us to, uh, to adjust who we, who, who we think we are, I, our identity in terms of I'm a coach or I'm a personal trainer, or I'm a, uh, business owner. Uh, it's, it's, it's a healthy exercise though. And I'll, I'll pick on myself. I went to a liberal arts, small liberal arts college where they, they ask these uh, sociology and in psychology type questions uh, quite a bit of us, so it it always sends me down those those thinking rabbit holes. But uh, but this is cool, Tara. I appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah, of course. You know, something I do to kind of um, keep myself feeling like I'm still a strength coach um, is like once a month I put on like a clinic for members, and I'll be like, today's deadlift day. We're going to take 90 minutes and you're going to learn how to do an awesome deadlift. You know, um, I've got like a sprint mechanics, like how to start, how to set up to, to run a 40 yard dash, you know, you know, we get the laser timers out and go through that kind of thing, like how to do a power clean, you know, and what the steps are working up to that. And almost always it's like random gym members. It's never the youth athletes that show up or the collegiate athletes. It's always just like, ah, I've seen people do this on TV. It looks cool. I thought I'd learn, you know, and they come like do the, the 90 minute clinic once a month, you know, there's always a way to keep yourself in the door there. And I was thinking about what you were saying, Eric, about like the stigma. And I think like part of the stigma comes from the fact that there's such a low barrier to entry for personal training, right? Get your high school degree. If that turn 18, even um, get your CPR, get your certification. And then like, turn you loose you know you're here to do good or do damage um whereas strength and conditioning officially doesn't really have any more qualifications than that but all of us know that like if you don't have a master's in your cscs and experience good luck you know 
So I think that we kind of feel like, well, we're super educated and personal trainers are like 18 year old dude bros. Um, whereas in reality, like, you know, <laughs> we come in all shapes and sizes, all levels of education. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. That's uh, <clears throat> that's the really unfortunate part about the personal training world. You know, I, I think that gets lumped in with, um, you know, because the barrier of entry is so low, that must mean that it's easy. And I'm sure that you can attest working with geriatric populations. They're not necessarily easy to work with, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah. Almost everybody has at least one or two orthopedic injuries that they have to work around. So if anything, you almost have to brush up on your anatomy a little bit yeah. more to make sure that you're not hurting people who are probably a little bit more susceptible to injury. Also, the like interpersonal skills that you have to have as a personal trainer, like as a strength coach, I spent a lot of time walking around the weight room you know, correcting form, being like, oh, good job, guys, let's go, you know, like getting people hyped up, you know, and then talking one-on-one -on -one if there was an issue, but like I'm face-to-face -face with a person for an hour. Like they know more about me and I know more about them than like their besties do, you know? And so having to have that skill set to be able to like hear about all their aches and pains and have some sort of answer for how to, you know, mitigate them or fix them entirely you know, mentally, socially, it takes a lot. Um, not that strength conditioning doesn't, but um, I feel like as a personal trainer, it's like you can't be an introvert and and do well without a lot of effort. Yeah, which is most funny because I consider myself an introvert, but um, it takes a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, and then just building off of that point, I feel like you you can get something from your clients because you have all that time with them one-on-one -on -one, right yes. like if you have a ceo that you're that you're training like come to your session with questions that you want to know like how can i run my personal business better or a medical professional right like you get to pick from all of these different professions and kind of steal their thoughts along the way so that was always yes. something that was really valuable and they're paying to me. you for it right? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I feel like I've learned more from my clients than I ever have given them back. You know, like I know a whole ton about fitness, but um, learning about business and all sorts of other stuff, but even just like life skills, you know, one of my clients gave me like a cleaning hack for getting stains out of clothes the other day and it worked. And I was like, this is a game changer, especially with a toddler in the house. Um, so it just like if you pay attention, you really get a lot back from it too. That's Most cool. definitely. I was I was thinking back a few years you spoke at the NSCA coaches conference. Did I get that I right? I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that 2017? I'm taking a guess there. I think maybe 2018. 18. It's been a while. <laughs> nice. Uh what's you know, your involvement with the NSCA? You've uh you reached out, you wanted to be on the podcast, you spoke at one of our conferences, what's been your NSCA experience and what message do you have for those who are maybe listening to their first NSCA podcast? Uh, I love the NSCA. Um, I got some good advice early, early in my career that I need to get this certification. So I did, but I didn't really take it any further than that. Um, and then someone told me like, you got to go to the coaches conference. If you're a strength coach, you got to be there. Like 
there is no way that you'll ever progress in your career if you're not at the coaches conference. Um, so I jumped into that advice wholeheartedly. Um, and being introverted, it was kind of hard for me to just like randomly walk up and be like, Hey, you know, where do you work? I work at Navy, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, luckily when you work at a school that people have heard of, they come up to you a lot of the time. So that made it um, a little bit easier for me. Um, but I've met some really great people and I feel like the, the association really like cares about our success and the future of the industry. Um, so it's really nice to be a part of it. I've kind of done all of the things that I've done with the NSCA um, reluctantly. But, you know, people will be like, um, I, for example, I went to the Delaware State Clinic a long time ago and Matt Nine from Salisbury was there and he's like, you got to speak at this thing. And I was like, no, dude, I don't know anything about speaking. I'm a strength coach. I don't use big words. Um, and he was like, come on, you are smart as you should do this. And I said, all right. Um, so I kind of like test drove my coach's conference speech at the Delaware State Clinic the year before. Um, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> so um, when somebody reached out and was like, do you want to do this at the national level? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, and they had some sort of like um, promo going on because I was talking about female athletes. Um, somebody was giving me like a stipend of 200 bucks or whatever. So I was like, oh, yes, I'll take it. I'm a strength coach. I'm poor. Of course I'll take it. Um, so I went and did that and it was great. I really enjoyed the experience. Um, it's, you know, really rewarding to give back as a personal trainer. I never really feel like I'm giving back because people are paying me for my help. So, you know, it's like a win-win. Um, but as a strength coach, being able to present and speak and, you know, do things to help further the industry was like really rewarding for me. So, um, I hope that the coaches out there kind of get inspired to get more involved and, you know, maybe serve on a committee or speak at a conference, or come on the podcast, you know, try to make it better for all of us. Yeah, this was cool. And I think that give back mentality, uh, that's what drove me to speaking at the NSCA. And it's something that it's only human to be a little nervous about speaking opportunities or putting yourself out there or sharing. Uh, but that, that wears off. And, you know, you probably were one of the people at that conference or those events that, that took the most away from it. Kind of like you and you were yeah. talking about working with your, with your clients, how much you learn from them. Uh, there's a lot of that, that, that comes from speaking and sharing. The more you put out, the more you're going to get back and that's that's a sentiment that we share often on this podcast. Uh, I like today that we unpack personal training as a strength and conditioning profession. I don't think we always connect those dots in the way that that we we tried to today. And I think we had some really good conversation. Uh, Tara, you're a great resource on this. Just uh, appreciate the time you spent uh, breaking this down and. Uh, if you would, for anyone who wants to reach out and ask you any questions, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, I would love to be a resource for anybody who wants um, help with anything that we talked about. Um, giving back is a huge part of what I do. So please, please, please contact me. Um, you can always email me. Um, I assume you're going to link my email in the show notes or something. Absolutely. Um, but it's Tara at edgewaterfit.com. Um, and then I'm on social media, Tara DeLeon Fitness on Facebook and Instagram, more active on Instagram, but you know, eventually I'll see it on Facebook. 
um, you know, I'm happy to help. Great. My man, Blake, podcast number one for you. This is awesome. You did great. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me on. And Sarah, it was a lot of fun to chop it up with you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Blake. If you ever need me for anything, let me know. Most definitely. That's how it happens right there. Everyone listening in, we are very thankful for you, our listeners. Couldn't do this without you. And we, when we're out at events, Blake and I, we always run into people that uh, mention an episode of the podcast and that um, that really means a lot to us. I think it's what we go for by doing this. Uh, also, special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hey, everyone, this is Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. You just listened to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, one of the best sources of information about the strength and conditioning profession. If you're new to this podcast and you want to learn more, subscribe now to always get the latest episodes delivered right to you. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.